would take your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Philippians and chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. I'm going to start begin reading at verse 12. I'm going to read down through verse 20. Philippians 1, beginning at verse 12. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity and privilege we have to open your precious word. Thank you for the encouragement that we received already Sunday school hour and through the singing of thy word, of thy uh, songs that bring glory to thy name. And Father, we pray as we look into the word of God that we quiet our hearts before you, allow the spirit of God to speak to our hearts, to convince us of truth, uh, to uh, allow him to shape our minds and our thoughts and our actions and our responses to the word of truth this morning knowing that one day we will stand before you and give an account for what we hear. So give us ears to hear. Help me as I preach. I pray that the word of God will go forth in demonstration of the spirit and of power and have us and, and have your will done. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there are many things in life, in society, that then when they are opposed or exposed, they come to naught. They're they're brought to be something of no consequence. And we see, in fact, some examples of this even in the Bible. In Acts chapter 5, you remember when Peter and John were arrested and brought for the Sanhedrin, and uh, they were trying to decide what they were going to do with them, whether to beat them, whether to kill them, or what to do with them. The Gamaliel, one of them, and a teacher, a doctor of the law, stood up, in verse 34, and he's the one that had to be in reputation, he said in verse 35, you men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days rose up Thodis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxation, or the taxing, and drew away much people after him, he also perished in all, even as many as obeyed him were disposed, disposed, dispersed. I'm sorry. So you, we see examples of this in the scripture, even that you know that there's there's maybe 
organizations rise up or some movement or some teaching will rise up and, and then it comes to naught. It's exposed or it's confronted or it's challenged and it comes to nothing. But Gamaliel goes on also to warn these, the Sanhedrin here, in verse 38. Now I say unto you, refrain from these men, let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. And this we find to be the testimony of the gospel. For the testimony of the gospel, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Romans 19.10 tells us. So the spirit of God is the efficient source, is the power. So there's the power of God behind the gospel. And to fight against it and try to destroy it, it will never come to naught. It will only proliferate. As has been the testimony of churches and Christians down through the ages of time. Like one of the phrases that was coined in the early church was, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. So the more that the, 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 the emperors tried to destroy and kill Christians and eradicate them from the face of the earth, more, more of them there was. It just seemed like it was propaganda for the Christians to be martyred. Why is that? You can't destroy the truth. You can't destroy the truth. And you can't overcome God. God cannot be overcome. And so, as we look here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul's reminding these believers at Philippi that, you know, he's in prison and he said, the things that have happened unto me, in other words, the happenings in my life that you think are terrible. It's just terrible. Paul's been put in prison. You know, he can't continue his ministry of traveling from city to city and targeting churches. He's confined to a prison. That's just terrible. We need to pray that God get him out of prison. Paul said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I just want you to know the things that happened unto me have happened under the furtherance of the gospel. Furtherance of the gospel. And that's the title of the message this morning, Happened for the Furtherance of the gospel. As I said, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. It is the divine mind of God which is manifest through preaching. Jesus said he is the way, that he was the way, the truth, and life. His churches are the pillar and ground of the truth. They are the repositories of truth, if you will. And the Bible tells us that gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as Gamaliel told those Jews in that those, uh, the, the, uh, there in Acts chapter 5, he said, if this be of God, you will not overthrow it. And though the world may not like us, and may attempt to hinder and constrain and, 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 and push us out of public life and get rid of all of us and cause us to compromise, there will always be a remnant of God's people to be faithful to God. You can't overthrow the gospel. 
And, you know, it, it, the history has shown us that when there is an attempt to suppress the truth, it only proliferates. It is made more evident. It is made more noticeable. It's almost like they help broadcast the truth. So I want to notice several things here this morning as we consider this happened to the furtherance of the gospel. First of all, this, you know, the word furtherance means the advancement or progress or the profiting. I want to notice, first of all, the providence of God in all this. In verse 12, but I would have, I would you should understand, brethren, that things which happened unto me have fallen out rather under the furtherance of the gospel. It says the things which happened unto me. You know, we, we, we call that just happenings. You know, we often say, well, that just happened. Did it? We're reminded in the book of Ruth. You know, Ruth determines that she's going to follow God. That she's not going to leave Naomi. She's not going to stay in Moab. She's going back to the, to Bethlehem with, to the house of bread with Naomi. And she has put her trust in the living God, the God of Israel. And she's going back there and she don't know what's going to happen, but she has committed herself to God. And the Bible says in chapter two that her hat was to light on the field. Boats. Just hat. Some people say, well, that was just by coincidence. Or that was just a, just a, just by accident. No, there's no accidents in the life of the child of God. God directs his path. Ephesians 1 and verse 11 tells him, he worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You see, Paul's, Paul's telling the, the, the Philippian believers, hey, don't be over concerned with me. What has happened to me is God's will. I'm in God's place. Oh, it may be this dirty dungeon of a prison in Philippi, but it is God's place for me right now. It's God's place for me. And my suffering, my imprisonment, though it hinders me physically, yet the Word of God is not bad. You remember Paul was imprisoned at Philippi once before, and of course, you know, the believers there, I'm sure, were as concerned now as they were then. But even then, being taken where he, he, uh, where he, to, to prison, that, uh, it bore great fruit to the glory of God. And his time in prison the first time at Philippi, and now he's at Rome, but when he was in prison at Philippi, remember the fruit of that was the salvation of the jailer and all his house. See, too often we encounter difficult experiences in life and we're overwhelmed by them and become discouraged and complain. And I'm talking to myself here this morning too, in case you're wondering. But if we would pause and reflect, we would see God working in those difficult circumstances to the furtherance of the gospel. Yeah, Moses was forced to flee Egypt for fear of Pharaoh. And with that, fleeing brought the loss of all possible power and prestige in Egypt. And he was delegated to being a shepherd, keeping sheep that were not even his.
And you might say, Moses, you lost everything. Opportunity has passed you by. And this went on for 40 years. Just keeping sheep. This is a man who was educated in Egypt. Acts 7 tells us that he was he was mighty in words and deeds. In other words, he was trained to be a, a leader of might and of power. To lead men. He had those abilities. And here he finds himself in the backside of the desert keeping sheep for 40 years. And God appears to him as fire in a bush. And that bush, I believe, reminded Moses that it was not about who he was or where he was or what he was. It's about who I am. It's about the I am. And God said to Moses, I will send thee I will be with thee. I will be with your mouth. I will empower you. You see, it doesn't matter, Moses, how you feel about it or how it looks to others or, or what you're concerned about. He said, I will stretch out my hand over Egypt and I will bring my people out. I just want you to go and be the one that tells them that and then leads them out. But I will do it. I will do it. Now, I don't know if this is original of me, but this is a phrase that I come up with the other day. You know, you can put a man in a cage, but you cannot put God in that cage. Here's Paul in prison. He's in a cage. But in that cage, the gospel is being furthered. We have Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. We know as a result of this imprisonment, we're not certain if he was imprisoned again or if there was just one long imprisonment, but we know. That we, and then he later wrote First and Second Thessalonians, Titus, Philemon, possibly Hebrews. See, the gospel is still going forward because he gave us writings. He gave us truth. So we, hear, we see here the providence of God. I want you to notice, secondly, in this furtherance of the gospel, the people affected by this. And there's three groups of people that are affected by this. And I'll give you the three. The Romans, other Christians, and Paul himself. I want to look at all those three. The pe- people affected by Paul's imprisonment that, that uh, actually uh, that affected them in the furtherance of the gospel. First of all, and I call them the superior Romans. I'm trying to start all these letter S so you can help you remember. The superior Romans. You know, they thought they were superior to everybody. They were the ones in power. And again, notice where it is. Look at verse 13. So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace. And in all the places. So here he is. Paul's a prisoner of the Romans. 
he, he, there's a, there's a palace there. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, uh, uh, for sure, whether it means the, the palace of Caesar or not, but probably a praetorian of soldiers. But, uh, needless to say, it was some kind of, uh, officers' quarters and, and the quarters for the guards and all that. But he says, my bonds on Christ are manifest in all the palace. Everybody knows, everybody at this palace and all the places connected with this palace know why I'm here. And then why I'm here. So, first of all, we see the purpose of his bonds in Christ. He was in prison for and as representative of Christ. In verse 7, he says this, even as is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. So I'm here for the defense and confirmation of the gospel. In Ephesians 1, he said, I therefore the prisoners of the Lord. Beseech you that walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. In chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, he says, and for me, that utterance, you know, he, this, he's still, he's in the same prison. He's writing from the same prison he wrote Philippians. And he says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So, he's in bonds. He's, he's there as a, uh, his bonds in Christ. And this is manifest to all that come in contact with him. In 2 Timothy 2.9, he says, Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds, but the word of God is not bound. You know, here he was in prison. Just imagine being chained to, to a Roman guard and the soldiers, and they say, Hey, so what'd you do to get in here? What'd you do? What crime did you commit? Why are you here? Well, I've been telling people about God that created all things and made man in his image. But man rebelled against him. The proxy curse of death and sin. But the good news is that God sent his son to die for man's sin, even for yours. And I can imagine there were some guards that say, oh, I don't know that I believe that. Some of them were, you know, being Roman soldiers, they weren't considered to be the nicest of people. They probably cursed him. They probably blasphemed the Lord's name. And, and they probably accused him of different things. You know, well, what did you steal? Or, or who did you kill? Or who did you defraud? Or, or what did you do? And so on and so forth. And, and they just didn't want to believe his story. Paul would continue to say, no one, friend, but God put me here so I could witness to you and demonstrate the love of Christ to you. And how He delivered me from a life of hate and bigotry and persecution. But He manifested Himself to me and saved me and forgave me and gave me a new life of peace with God. You know, the Jew that one day hated the Roman now is telling that same Roman about the love of God 
across Jesus. He would write to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. And he would tell them where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Paul said, that's my purpose here. To make manifest the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, the place of the manifest Christ is in the palace. He says in verse 13, so that manifest in all the palace and all other places. You know, the, the word palace is defined as in which the governor or procurator, he's the magistrate, of the providence resided, in which, the, which would include the camp where the guards and the soldiers were kept. So to all the palace and all the places surrounding the palace, wherever he was taken as a prisoner, Christ was made known. Christ was known. You know, think of it. Can you, can you imagine this? This is part of the government where Christ is made known. It's the same government that has him arrested and put here. You might say, you know, by the way, who also is keeping him? They're responsible to take care of him during this time. Until he comes to trial. So they've got to provide. They're to provide for his needs while he's free to give the gospel to them. This is one time you can be on government dole, you know. Because it was of no choice of his. So he's witnessing to their employees. And we know that there was fruit for his words and for his conduct. In chapter 4 and verse 22, he says, All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household. So Paul's given the gospel among the ruling class of the world power at that time and seeing men and women of that class come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we see the furtherance of the gospel among the Romans. We also see the furtherance of the gospel among the, the serving Christians. Notice in verse 14, through verse 17, and many of the brethren on the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. So the testimony and opportunities that Paul veiled himself of in prison emboldened others. It, it gave them boldness. And encourage them to preach without fear. You know, there may, there, you know the, the fear always was that if you were arrested by the government, you'd be immediately executed. Well, Paul wasn't executed, but he had this time. And after, in fact, most commentators believe that he's going to be freed at some point and then going to be later arrested again. There's not real, you know, not real certain about that, but that's what they think happened. But, but be that as it may, he, he's in prison. 
He's, he's not being, he's not been executed. He's been given opportunity to, to witness to the soldiers, to the guards, to whoever he comes in contact with. And so this emboldens those that are still out and free to give out the gospel. They were encouraged to preach without fear. You know, there were some that took the opportunity who probably didn't like Paul, didn't like his personality or something, who thought they'd become more, or didn't like that he was more popular than anybody else. Not of his own doing, but just the result of the Lord using him. And so they thought that this is an opportunity to, to, to better him, you know. And that's why he said here. Some preach Christ of envy and strife. But the disappointing thing to them was God's not, Paul wasn't in a popularity contest. He wasn't interested in that. He was just glad that the gospel was going forward. It was about the gospel being preached, the truth being taught. Some probably thought that he, you know, was not as spiritual as they were because he got put in jail and they didn't. You know, what some people do not realize is it's not in the power of men to elevate or destroy. That's a power that belongs to God. And so, there was this, this furtherance of the gospel, and Paul said, you know, whether it's preaching of envy or strife, some goodwill, uh, I'm just glad the gospel is being set forth. But I want you to notice a third thing here we see in the furtherance of the gospel, and it was furthered in the life of Paul. Notice verses 18 through 20. And he says, What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation my hope that nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. I want you to notice several things here as we think about the submitted Paul. And I think that describes Paul. He was submitted to whatever God's will was, he was submitted to it. And so, he, he, first of all, he rejoiced in the proliferation of the gospel. Verse 18, What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached, and I therein do rejoice, and yea, and will rejoice. If, if get me getting put in prison, uh, if that's what it necessitates for the gospel to be, be further declared, so be it. So be it. Let it happen. That's what he's saying. Let it happen. I'm... Praise the Lord for it. But we see his submission to God's will and direction in his life. I want you to notice the source of that is the power of the Spirit of God being manifested in him. If you notice in verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. So, you know, his, his, his submission to God's will and direction in his life, allowing God to direct him, uh, was the saving power of the Spirit of God being manifested in him to endure the affliction of the gospel with a thankful heart and a willingness to be used in whatever way. 
whether by life or by death. You see, I don't, when, when he says here, he, he says here, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Christ. And then his expectation is, and this is his expectation. I don't think his expectation is, I'm hoping to get out. He says that I may not be ashamed. That I might not be ashamed, but that I'd have boldness. And my source of power and my comfort is the supply of the Spirit of Christ. This is how I do it. It's not in me. In fact, Paul said in Romans 7, that is in my flesh dwelleth what? No good thing. But the reason that I can endure this, the only way that I can endure this, the only thing that's going to redeem me during this time and make my life manifest Christ is the power of the Spirit of God. power of the Spirit of God. You see, to endure the afflictions of a Roman prison required a yielded heart. It required a surrender of self. He was allowed by God to be confined. He was put in a corner, if you will, where he had to face, come face to face with a choice where he's going to clearly commit his keeping to God and allow the, world, the Lord to work through him to work out the Lord's own will life, or like many who say, I don't want this. I didn't sign up for this. I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer for His name. I don't want to sacrifice for Him. I don't. Basically what you're saying is, I don't want to yield my life to Him. See, this is the Spirit. As he says in verse 19, the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Forward to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21. For even hereunto were you called, so this is what you're called to. This is what you're chosen to. This is, this is part and parcel of the Christian life. If you're looking for glamour and gold and all that, that's not the Christian life. And glitter. That's not the real Christian life. Christian life is full of difficulties and hardships overcoming our flesh. For even thereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. Here it is. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. What did Jesus pray in the garden? He, he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. And though he is reviled, he reviled not again. He was buffed, he threatened not. 
he committed himself. In other words, he yielded himself to the him that judges right. He yielded himself to the will of the Father. And that's what Paul's saying here in, in, in Philippians chapter 2. He said, I have yielded myself to the will of the Father. If I was to pick it, if I was to pick the place to be, I wouldn't be here. But I have yielded myself. I don't belong. You know, my life doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God. And I've yielded myself to Him. So I'm willing to be here if that's what the Lord wills. And I don't want to do anything. That would be a shame to Him. I want the Spirit of Christ to control me. To lead me. To guide my words. To guide my conduct. And this was his stated hope. If you notice it says in verse 20, according to my earnest expectation, my hope. This is, this is my desire. This is what I want most. Is that, that Christ will be magnified in my body. Whether it's by life or by death. So by yielding to the supply of the Spirit of Christ, he would not be ashamed, though he was humiliated. It was humiliating to be put in prison. It was humiliating. It was humiliating for Christ to endure the crucifixion. That was the most humiliating death there could, that anyone could possibly endure. Yet he endured it. He submitted to it. And you know when Paul is here in jail being humiliated, that humiliation... is the humiliation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, really, what happens then is Christ's humiliation became Paul's humiliation. Christ's trial became Paul's trial. You know when Peter, at the trial of Christ, is standing at the fire, warming himself, and the maid comes along and says, Thou art one of them. You see, all of a sudden, Jesus' trial became Peter's trial. Peter's being tried. But it's, Jesus' trial became his trial. Was he gonna was he going to be ashamed? Or was he going to manifest the Spirit of Christ? Now we know what Peter did. He fell. He became ashamed. He didn't want to be recognized all of a sudden with Jesus. The person he said he would die for, all of a sudden he doesn't want to be recognized with him. Of course we know later on then Peter was tried again. And he stood up testified that Jesus was the Christ for all of Jerusalem. You see, when we suffer, his trial becomes ours. Though Paul was treated as a criminal and humiliated, cursed, abused, some thought they would buy him off with money. Remember Felix in Acts chapter 25? 
heard Paul oftener, hoping that money would be given him. But, you know, Paul wasn't privy to criminal activity. He wasn't going to embarrass his Lord. And that's his expectation here, that, that I would not be ashamed, that I would bring, that, way, that I with all boldness I would manifest Christ. You know, are we ashamed of Christ? Are we embarrassed to stand for the truth? Are we ashamed to look different than the world? Talk different? Dress different? Whole Bible teachings that have been passed down that Christians have held for generations that most of the world, most of the Christian world is throwing out the window? Saying there's no standard to holiness? See, unless you have the supply of the power of the Spirit of Christ in you, you will fall. And if you notice what Paul says in the last part of this verse, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. See, this requires death to self. You see, Peter's problem was on the day of the trial of Jesus Christ, he hadn't yet died to himself. He was still worried about Peter more than he was worried about the testimony of Christ. He hadn't got quite died to himself. And Paul would tell us in 1 Corinthians that's something we need to do daily die to self. We have to lay aside self-will. It requires we lay aside what others think. You know, Peter was worried about what everybody else thought. Oh, you're one of them. Oh, no, 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 I'm not. You know, it may be that God will put you on some grandstand where the world is looking at you, friends and family, who love the world are looking at you. And you have a choice. Will you be humiliated with Christ and stand for Him and honor Him with a testimony that pleases Him and is not ashamed of Him? Or will you yield to pride and self-will and deny Him? You see, these kind of decisions that we make from day to day in life determine either the furtherance of the gospel or the hindrance of the gospel in and through us. You know, there was a very well-educated man with a great future ahead of him in the ruling class of his country. He had been to the best university in the nation was working very hard and he was very zealous to excel within the ranks of aristocracy. He had a great future and great aspirations. But some things bothered his conscience. And one day he was brought face to face with his sin and the risen Christ and was born again. And this was a question he asked the Lord. Lord, 
what wilt thou have me to do? You know, that man was the Apostle Paul. Have you ever asked the Lord that question? You know, that cost that question cost Paul all the great aspirations that he had that day were lost. He lost the world, but he saved his soul. He lost what he could not keep, but he gained what he could not lose. And it was through the body of this man that the gospel proliferated, was further in the world. Even in his prison terms. You see, the gospel is furthered in our lives when we yield to the Lord and not try and do it on our own strength. Not trying to use our own human reasoning. I'm sure there were those who said, Paul, you could do a whole lot more if you were out of prison. But what do we have? Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. If Paul hadn't been allowed of God to be put in prison. Would those Roman guards ever heard the gospel if Paul hadn't been put in prison? I don't know what you may be facing today, but God may allow hardship in your life. He may put you in a corner. And it may be embarrassing. It may cause people to think ill of you if you stand for Christ. But it will happen under the furtherance of the gospel. So how is God using you this morning? How is it with your life? Are you surrendered to Him? Are you yielded to Him? Are you allowing the, the gospel to be furthered in your life? Have you been truly born again? Have you surrendered your heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ in salvation?